Warning. Explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Scott David Chase. This is my truth. Tell me yours. Uh, on this episode, I spoke to Kevin Berenger. This episode is sponsored by Dapper Ties. Um, they have a wide assortment of neckties, different colors, designs, uh, fabrics, so on and so forth. If you go to wearedapperties.com, that's where you can check out what they have to offer if you purchase a tie or two or three. If you put in the promo code TRUTH at checkout, you will get free shipping in the continental United States. So we thank them for their sponsorship. Yeah, so uh, I had um, breakfast at Colby's, a little restaurant in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, with my uh, old friend Kevin Barringer. Kevin and I have done several theatrical productions together, and uh, he is uh, part of an upcoming uh, upcoming production called 8x8 at the Hatbox Theater in Concord, New Hampshire, uh, written and co-directed by G. Matthew Gaskell, who has been on this podcast before as well. Um, we talked about that. We talked about films. Um, you know, we talked about a lot of different stuff. Um, it's always great to get together with Kevin. Him and I have uh, breakfast about once every two or three months. And, uh, yeah, this was uh, this was fun. Uh, very, very casual conversation uh, with, with an old friend. So uh, enjoy this chat with Kevin Barringer. doing my to-do list uh-huh. and this is for uh this is my other job which is not it's 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 D stuff okay I'm trying to write yeah and you know like um, for dorks and dungeons or no for, no I haven't, for actual dungeons? i haven't done dorks in a while actually yeah. I, mean, I i feel bad because I've, I've sort of dropped out dropped off the face of the planet in a lot of things including that what's uh just give a quick two-sentence explanation of dorks and dungeons for people listening who i already started recording. oh you did oh hey hey hello world um <laughs> so so dorks and dungeons is fantastic yeah and uh you know it was created years ago um uh, brian kelly and brian paul and a bunch of other folks sort of came up with this the brainchild because we're all nerds we're all giant right. geeks we love playing dorks even dorks even we love playing dungeons and dragons and and, and silly stuff like that we're also all performers all actors right. um and uh, you know everybody always felt like hey role-playing let's you know see how we can make a living or you know like do a show like this um and they actually did they actually pulled it off and uh, came up with a great model and it you know it got tweaked over over, right. over the years and it's still you know growing and changing um and uh it was it started off as sort of a um almost like a improv you know in the framework of a dungeons and dragons game uh but but a, a lot more like a sit, a sit down Dungeons and Dragons game, you know, like there's a dungeon master who's kind of narrating and doing a story, and a bunch of characters that you'd have sort of main actors playing, and then we had extras who portrayed the non-player characters, which was the whole the rest of the world, you know, and they could right. be monsters or or whatever. And um, uh, one of one of my favorite guest stars is Andrew Pennard, actually, right. who who showed up, and he's a, he's a, a magician and an, an actor right. and a writer and just talented guy. He's, he's one of the 
He's one of the people that started the Hatbox Theater. He started the Hatbox Theater, and that'll be a lovely segue yeah, coming exactly. up. Yeah, but um, and that's how I, I met him when he guest starred doing Dorks. Oh, okay. And uh, Dorks has been going, I can't even remember how many years now. Um, I only participated for a couple of years. Um, and they've, you know, then life, you know, came up and got sure. in their way. Sure. Um, and I had such a good time doing it. Uh, and, the, you know, the, the group has... You know, they've, they've had a core group of people that's remained consistent, but other people have kind of come and gone, and sure. it's grown. And now they're doing, like, a sci-fi sort of stint. You know, it started off with a, with a fantasy orientation, and they even created their own um, world setting. You know, it's very tongue-in-cheek. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's hilarious. Um, and uh, they, they really grew the improv side of it, you know, and the format. You yeah. know, like... like you know, improv. There's there's like a science and a methodology to doing good improv. Right. And they they really honed it as an art, yeah. and um, you know, created this this model that they have with a with a framework. And you know, there are rules and you roll dice and stuff like that. But it's uh, the the, mo- the most important thing is the show, is the, yeah. the performance. And you know, I remember talking to audience members who showed up. Um, you know, a, a one woman in particular came up to me after a show and was like, this is not my thing. I'm not into fantasy stuff. I'm not right. into gaming. But my husband is, and he brought me along, and I had a blast. That's I absolutely awesome. loved it, yeah. And I've heard of that from many people, that it's, you know, it's it's entertainment. It's, sure. it's just good entertainment. So, uh, so I'm really proud of... Ever, you know, ever having my name attached to it, so yeah. I recommend everybody go see it. It's fun. Do you like? Yeah. Do you like improv? I do. Yeah. It's terrifying. It is. Oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah. I'm a. It's funny because a lot of people who are naturally funny think it's easy, and it's. I'm good at improvising on my feet by myself, but. In, Improvisation in a group setting really is uh, a specific skill, and you know, it's, it's. I, I mean, there's some people that I think it comes natural to, but it's something that you have to really work at. I'm horrible at it. <laughs> That's. It's really funny to hear you say that because I've, I've seen you perform on stage. I've right. seen you do stand up, right. which is. In some ways, there's there's a lot of similarity to improv there. I mean, you know, you, you work up a, a set right. for stand-up, so you have sort of a, a script in your head, but it's just a framework. Yeah. I, I know that, you know, and I've never done stand-up. Right. That, that terrifies me even more than improv, to yeah. be honest, because improv is a team sport. Right. You know, you, you, you riff off of each other, you, you yes-and each other, you support each other, and uh, and and you, you practice it, too. Like, you... you rehearse improv right. and you're not rehearsing lines but you're rehearsing a relationship with the other performers mm-hmm. so you can pick up on your cues and you can you know you, you can understand each other's strengths and you know what how to how to inspire your co yeah. your your co-performers and um so yeah it's, it's it's a team you know and it's really interesting uh stand-up is you're flying solo right Oh boy, without a shoot. Which I wonder if, because I also have difficulty doing, I'm trying to couple art collaborations with other artists. Yeah. And I mean, and it, I've maybe done five total 
and and they won't say which one, but of those five, only one of them was one that I actually felt was satisfying. The others were frustrating to varying degrees, and I've and I tried uh, I tried doing a script writing project with. Two, two people who, nice meeting you two, uh, two people who uh, I won't mention on this because we, they're mutual friends and I, I it, and it's not even a, it's not even a thing on them. I think it's more my own, shortcoming's not the right word, but it's my own, my own difficulty in sort of letting go of control to some degree. Yeah. Whereas with stand-up, the stakes are higher, but if it's great, it's all you. Yeah. But then if it's terrible, I'll leave us here. Thank you very much. Thank you. Enjoy that. Thanks. Bestow toast abundant. Thank you very much for that, we, that we, carbohydrate. We are eating at uh, Colby. Is it just Colby's? It's Colby's. It's a. I didn't know if it was Colby's breakfast. Col- Colby's restaurant? I don't know. Is Jeremy Bachman? We can ask him if he comes out. Um, yeah, Colby's breakfast restaurant is a staple. Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and, and we're gonna yeah. we're gonna do what is what is hated by many people on radio, which is we're gonna talk while we're eating and recording. Yeah, that's right. It's like it's like that Seinfeld thing: uh, comedians getting coffee, right? And except this is um, bearded fellows eating breakfast. Yeah, ooh, I like that <laughs> a little alliteration, sort of. Yeah, and except it's on radio, so there's a lot of you know. Right, like clinking of utensils and um, chewing sounds. So, what do you? What did you order? Just so people know, I got the Leo, which is the lox, eggs, and onions. Because um, this this is actually one of my favorite testaments to my uh, my heritage. This is the this is the salmon of my people, the the smoked salmon. Because I'm from oh, Long I, Island. I thought you were revealing to me that you were Aquaman. <laughs> No, 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 salmon no. is actually that's that's water. that's next episode. Yeah, yeah. that's true. That's true. Yeah. But uh, no, it's uh, I grew up on Long Island, and so you know, I, and I grew up with a Jewish tradition, not not you know religious right. in any way, but um, you know, far far east end of Long Island, there's right. a, you know there's there's Jews there. Mm-hmm. And then I moved to New Hampshire. Not as my Jews. There's hardly any Jews here, mm-hmm. which was great. I stood out, and uh, and all of a sudden I started identifying with things I missed that I had taken for granted. Yeah. And, you know, like what? Well, like other than locks. like smoked fish. Yeah, yeah. like locks and and cultural stuff like that. And yeah, um, yeah a certain a certain degree of diversity of of thought, you know, and assumptions. Um, it's it's interesting to you know travel around. Not just not just New Hampshire, other places. Right. Um, years ago, uh, my wife Diane and I went with friends to visit New Orleans. We had a great trip. It was mm-hmm. it was fantastic. We stayed with um, uh, family of the, the friends we went with, and um, they were sweet and welcoming and wonderful. I think I think they were from Mississippi, and um, uh, they set set. They were they were older, you know. Well, you know, they were—I would say elderly—and uh, early two hundreds. Yeah, well, it's hard to gauge. Hard to gauge. It was yeah. some time ago. Um, count the rings. You got to count the rings on the old people. <laughs> it's true. Well, they, these these guys had had some rings. They 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 lived wonderful lives, and they were so so sweet. And so uh, uh, um, the, the the husband of the couple, uh, you know, we kind of sat down. He was kind of getting to know us, and he chewed on cigars. He wasn't allowed to smoke them anymore. Mm. So we just basically ate them. 
and you know, he's sitting down chewing his cigar, and he kind of he's kind of looking at me, trying to kind of suss me out, kind of figure out, yeah. figure out. And so he kind of leans in. He's like, "So, are you are you Italian?" And I was, I was like, "Nope, nope, nope, not not Italian." Yeah. It's like he leans in a little closer. He goes, "Are you Greek?" <laughs> and I'm like, "No, not Greek." And he leans a little bit closer, and he says, kind of low, kind of softly, he's like, "Are you Jewish?" <laughs> and, and it was. It wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't in any sort of judgmental or critical mm-hmm. way. It was, it was, it was sweet, but uh, it just kind of highlighted that, you know, there's, there's this, this sometimes this lack of diversity right. in certain places. For sure. And you know, I was an oddity, right. I guess, in, at least in that household. And um, see, when I met you, you my to first guess was Kodiak. Kodiak. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, well, you know, kind of a bear. Yeah, you know, a little grizzly. Yeah, yeah. I'm very, uh, I've been told I'd be, I'd be huge in P-Town. So, yeah. that's, that's good news. Yeah. Yeah. I have a, it's funny, I have a buddy who, who lives in Atlanta, who, um, he's gay, and every once in a while, like, we're Facebook friends, but we grew up together, and every once in a while, you know, I'll, I'll mention him in a comment or something like that, so his friends will see it, you know, and he tells me all the time, he's like, he's like, I got three buddies who are like, ooh, who's this? And then he's like, he's like, yeah, you know, if you ever want to come down and go out on a night for the town, you won't have to pay for drinks, so I'm like, you know, yeah, I'm like, cool, you know, yeah. Just like whatever, I'll, I'll do it. You know. you know, just set the expectations appropriately. Be be kind. You know, <laughs> it's just nice to feel pretty sometimes. Oh man, <laughs> if I had a nickel, yeah, I I wouldn't have a lot of nickels. Right. Um, actually, it's funny because when before when you arrived here at the restaurant, yeah, I was having a conversation with with a really sweet woman mm-hmm. who was at another table, and I already forgot her name. Um, Sue, I think, and and she was um, she was kind of looking at me, you know, and I was writing stuff in my notebook right. and. She just like she was speaking to me, and and I didn't realize I kind of real you know jumped up and was like, oh, oh, I'm sorry, you're talking to me. She's like, I, you know, I, I don't mean to bother you. I see you're busy, but I just wanted to tell you, you look just like Keanu Reeves, <laughs> which rocked my world a little bit. Right. Um, I mean, I, you know, because <laughs> in my mind, that's the furthest thing. From how I ever would see right. myself, well, maybe it's just because I have a beard right now. Yeah, and he's, he, he he likes to go shaggy now when he's not making a movie. That's true. That's true. Actually, I think didn't, he has a beard in John Wick. I think. Yeah, yeah. I think he's been bearded for a while. I think the closest celebrity mistaken identity I had was, and this was years ago. I stopped at a I stopped at a gas station in Rochester, and the guy and it was like two in the morning. The guy working there was like. Are you the singer for for uh, Drowning Pool, <laughs> which is a heavy metal band? Okay. And I was like, Dave Drainman, the guy who died three months ago. He's like, he's dead. And I like, I really like bummed him out because this was like oh, a pre-social no. media era. But he, had, you know, first of all, they were a horrible band, so I didn't take it as a as a compliment at all. He was just a big dude with tattoos, so. But yeah, he died on their tour bus. But yeah. wow! So you're kind of you're kind of stereotyped. You know? I, I I guess so. Yeah. I also it's funny because there's so my other job. I work at two different malls, 
and both malls, there's this like lotion place. Mm. Um, Puts us on its skin. Yeah, yeah exactly. But they're both. And this doesn't mean anything, uh, but they're, they're, they're owned and operated by Israeli people. And, mm-hmm. and uh, so a lot of the employees there smoke still. I mean, you know, Europe and, you know, parts of the Middle East and whatnot, smoking is still oh, yeah. a huge. I mean, people smoke in America too, but it is much more prevalent with younger people still. So I get asked all the time to borrow my lighter and I'm like, I don't smoke. And they're like, come on, you don't smoke. And I'm like, I'm like, not since 1997. <laughs> Nor do you drive a truck. No. Or um, bounce. Actually, have you, you, you used to bounce, didn't you? Uh, yeah, I technically still do. I still technically work for the Hampton Beach Casino Ballroom. But Right, that's right. So, okay, so you, 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 you are a little... You know, fit in the bill there. Sometimes I lean into the stereotype. Yeah. So well, they exist for a reason. It's yeah. funny. I keep looking across, and I know it's partly my fault. There's just a there's just a, a mound of of anadama toast on Kevin's plate because <laughs> so the meals that we got each come with toast. But I'm it's not that I can't eat toast, but I I have issues with the the gluten from time to time. So. I try and avoid it when I can. And, uh, so, but I know that Kevin enjoys the Anadama, so I ordered it with mine and then I love piled me. mine on top of his. So oh, yeah. I love me some molasses, you know, molasses bread. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I'm going to take this home and nurture it. Make, make a sandwich with my Leo leftovers. There you go. I, uh, I, um, I love ginger molasses cookies. I hate Anadama, right? Really? Mm-hmm. And I used to work at the Bagelry in Durham. Yes. Oh, we miss the Bagelry, man. We miss it. I mean, it's still there, but it's not the same. No. Um, which is funny, because when I first moved back, that was the first job that I resumed. So I worked there again. It was, it was now, it's now called The Works. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I worked there underneath my old assistant manager, who is now the manager there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's good that there's a bagel place, but um, I don't know. The feeling is a little different, you know. Well, being from Long Island, I mean, <laughs> you've had real bagels. I've been a bagel snob a couple of times, although it's interesting. Um, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I've been living here for 25 years, so, you know, I've, I've acclimatized, but... Um, so you moved here when you were four? Uh, yeah, thank you. Yes, exactly right, yeah. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and I have a 23-year-old daughter, so I went it's back amazing. in time for that to happen, because she's obviously older than I am. Right. Um, certainly more mature. But, uh, yeah, it's, that's a line that I use a lot. People look at me and they're like, you, you don't, you know, you're not old enough to have a 23-year-old yeah. kid. And I say, yeah, no, you're right. I am not old enough to have him. No, but I, I, I do. But unfortunately. Well, fortunately, yeah. she considers it a fortunate circumstance. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not unfortunate for you that you have her. It's just unfortunately for her. Well, know? unfortunately, she's more mature than her dad. Sure, yeah, that's true. But uh, I, uh, yeah. I get that every once in a while now when people find out how old I am and they're like, there's no way you're 42. Like, I don't believe it. I'm like, well, you're probably thrown off because I'm so immature. <laughs> that's, that's what makes you think I'm younger. It's true. Yeah. 
It's true. It's all, you know, it's all in the attitude. Like yeah. our, our mutual friend, Andy Fling. Yeah. Hi, hi, Andy. Hope you're listening. Um, I think is another one of those ageless people. You know, like... Andy's got a little bit of the Dorian Gray thing going on, though. He's got a... He does. There's a painting somewhere that's in bad shape. Oh, yeah. Because he's lived. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yep. But uh, it's it's a mindset. You know, you, you, live, you live young. Um, I'm still trying to figure that out. Yeah. Because I do struggle with... Uh, curmudgeonliness it's uh it's an affliction yeah oh yeah and like in movie theaters particularly like your endeavor to spend so much time in movie theaters yeah um drives you nuts well i'm jealous you know because like you see all these movies and it's exciting and i miss that i miss i miss going to the movies what's keeping you from going to the movies them damn kids (laughs) Uh, you know i go Go to matinees. There's never kids there. Uh, uh, yep, that's a very good point. I, I've tried to do that. I, I've had some great times going to the movies recently. Yeah. But, um, but you know, if you go on a Friday night or Saturday night or something like that. Years ago, I actually um, I crossed that line. I, I booped a kid in the head. There, was, yeah. there, were, there were a row of teenagers right in front of us. And... Um, they were they were you know, chatting a little bit, um, but one of them just pulled up her phone right in the middle of the movie. So there's this blinding light right in front of me, distracting me from the movie, and I'm easily distracted. So um, I, I I lost my my mind a little bit. I, I halted out, and you know, for me, not relatively, because I'm I'm not what you would call <laughs> a violent person. Right. Uh, and I, I just kind of tapped her on the head. and I said, "Turn it off." And um, she did. You know, she was just aghast and ashamed and quiet, at least. And I'm sure I was ridiculed later. But uh, but that that's a, a moment of infamy in my mind for me. I think yeah. I, I don't think there's any going back from a moment like that. <laughs> for me, with the cell phone thing in the theater, if someone pulls it out once, I'm like, I give them the benefit of the doubt that there's something important going on in their life. Yep. If they check it once. Yep. They check it multiple times. That's when I'm like, put the phone away. And so you say it audibly? Yeah. Okay. And same thing with talking during a movie. Yeah. Uh, like, if it's uh, one comment, like I'm like, okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. If it's constant, it's usually, please be quiet is the first thing. It usually takes three for me to say shut up. Yep, that's uh, yeah. I, I, it's funny. Like I've got these triggers, just like you, you know. And and uh, you, you have more practice, I think, at, at exercising well, I, restraint. Well, I go to the movie board. Exactly. So. Yeah. So, what did you see recently that you enjoyed? Oh, that's an excellent question. Um, wow, that's putting me on the spot. I, I don't remember the last time I went to the theater. Uh, I <laughs> oh well, certainly the the, uh, the the last Star Wars, um, yeah. the, the not the Force Awakens, the um, the uh, Last Jedi. Thank you, Last Jedi. See, this is on the spot. Kevin does not perform, um, and that was great. That was a really good movie going experience, and and I was very happy that I got to go and I got to enjoy it. 
and I came out feeling like I just saw a Star Wars movie the right way. What, uh, what, what were your thoughts on that movie? Oh, spoiler free. Spoiler oh, free. spoiler. Oh, that's tricky. But um, and I know this is this is delicate territory. Actually, it doesn't have to be spoiler free. It's to... been five months. Okay. Say you want. Is that the statute of limitations? Is there a... for me? I actually said it was one month because I. Wow. And here's a spoiler coming up about the Force Awakens. Like, oh, oh, okay, that's fair. As when, that, when that came out. Um, you know, I posted something on Facebook because I actually had friends unfollow me for the month that it came out because they were worried I was going to spoil it. And I was like, that's huh. not, that's, I'm not that kind of guy. You are not that guy. But I did say, I did make a post. I said, look, this is when it comes out. I'm not going to intentionally spoil it for anyone. But however, a month after the movie comes out, I'm going to talk about it without specific concern for spoiling it for someone. Because I'm like... And, and it was funny because I actually did a thing and it was like 11 o'clock at night and I was like... Because it was, it was actually more than a month. It was like 37 days afterwards and I was like... Uh, I just gotta save the post so I can get it out of my system. <laughs> Kylo Ren kills his father Han Solo at the end of the Force Awakens, and then I and I was like, "There, now we can talk about this movie without like you know." And I literally had someone go, "Dude, what? I haven't seen it yet." And I was like, "I was like, I did make a post about this," and he's like. I'm a huge Star Wars fan, but I'm like, it's been out 30. You're not a huge Star Wars no, fan. I'm yep. sorry. There's a test. Yeah, I'm and like, that, that does I'm not like, you might pass. really enjoy Star. And he's like, I've had this going. On. I was like, cool. Not a huge fan. I was like, because I'm. I mean, and this is not a brag or a comparison, but I'm one of the busiest people I know, and I, you know, I saw it opening night, you know, and then like six more times. Yeah, I mean, you're you're a moviegoer. You're a fan, mm-hmm. and you know you, you're you're one of those people that we can expect to have seen it opening night. Right. I waited a, a couple of weeks after yeah. it came out because because um, you don't like the crowd. Either. Yeah, I didn't want to fight the crowds, and you know we waited for like a kind of an off night, I think, to see it. And um, even then, I was nervous because because I worry that if the audience spoils it for me, then I'm going to have a bad association with the movie right. itself. And that didn't happen. And it was great. So you um, went in not knowing. I went in not knowing. Yeah, I, I was able to, you know, preserve my ignorance. <laughs> I unfortunately went in already knowing because I was oh. part of a closed group on Facebook that it was intentionally spoiled less than 24 hours. Uh, but, you know, That's... I kept it to myself. And it was one of those things I tried to convince myself that it was a terrible troll meme and it wasn't real. But, you know, uh, I think it was great for me. I'm going to ask sure. for a dash more coffee. Did so. you get enough toast? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's like that. a loaf. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, but, you know, as the movie was going along, I was like, no, it's probably not real. And then further and further along, the movie got, I was like, it seems like that's what's going to happen. Because um, people kind of forget now, three years later, we didn't even know that Kylo Ren was Luke and Leia's kid going into the movie. No? No, that was a reveal. That's yeah, and you know there were there was all kinds of speculation, you know, because it's it's a family saga, mm-hmm. the Skywalker saga. But we we and we expect it to be in that vein, right? I mean, there was I even had speculation going into it 
that Kylo Ren might have been Luke. Uh, hmm. Because looking at the poster, Luke was not on the poster. And it is not on the poster for The Force Awakens. Oh, yeah, no, I, I had the same thought. Yeah, I, before he took his mask off. Right. Yeah. Well, and I thought it was one of those, because I knew Adam Driver was playing the character, but I was like, that could have been a red herring thing where they said that's who he was, but, you know, kind of like... Um, Ben Kingsley is the Mandarin in Iron Man 3. If you haven't seen that, I hope I didn't spoil it. But, <laughs> right. Yeah, no, no, he's just an that's actor. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, kind of, I don't know, like, there's a weird thing now with movies, and it's happened in the last decade where no matter what movie you see, people are like, don't spoil it, don't spoil it. And I'm like, and my, my friend Mike made a point a while ago because. And going back to the Force Awakens, he didn't see it for a while, and it and it had been spoiled for him. But like he's like, here's the thing: if learning something like that about a movie makes the movie unwatchable to you, then it was a terrible movie already. It was, you know, yeah. But I don't know. We've sort of become obsessed with like secret, like, and I also feel like a lot of like showrunners do that now, and they're like we have to have some big reveal at all times, and like. Hmm. Well, they did that with The Walking Dead a couple seasons ago where they killed off one of the main characters but they alluded to it at the end of a season and they're like who did he kill and you know and it's just one of those things that I'm like I, I think it has to happen naturally in storytelling not just like forcing stuff I wonder if it's a if there's a generational aspect to it you know because um, I'd, I'd be curious to talk to, to younger people and kind of get their take like you know digital natives uh, you know right. who, who have grown up with social media and, and spoilers being commonplace and yes. think you know things being revealed within a matter of minutes or hours rather than days or weeks like you know in the 80s when, you know and, and when Star Wars came out and you know these, these movies that are iconic to me right. in my childhood um if if it was spoiled, it was you know a kid in school at the on the lunch line, right. you know, and and even then there was there was some degree of sense of not wanting to spoil it, you know, for 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 kids, and um, so you'd, you'd go to the movies and you would really have this reveal, this this amazing experience, um, and and the movie had you had that advantage with you uh, whereas in you know in today's environment those big reveals are they're, they're harder I guess to cultivate you know yes. that, that sense of surprise and, and awe that that we love we enjoy it um, and it's it's like this you know, if you can pull it off in entertainment then that's a win because that's a, an emotion you're evoking in your audience that they walk away with and remember I think we kind of like as a culture have an expectation of it all the time now where like I enjoy it more when you don't see it coming and I mean there was a movie that I saw last year and I don't remember what it was but it had a moment like almost towards the end of the movie that there was a huge reveal that didn't like the movie didn't lend itself to making you think it would be something like that but I was like oh I mean even I, I just saw it, there's an art to it. There's yeah, an oh, art to sure. the well, the sixth sense, you know, is like one of the best examples I can think of of a holy moly kind of ending. And I, you know. and I think that was sort of like the like the starting point of this new point of reveals and twist endings and whatnot. Yeah, 
I mean, maybe the usual suspects was kind of a similar thing a couple of years before. Yep. Kaiser Sozin. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and there are relatively few that stand out to that degree, I think. You know, and, and I'm sure every individual has their own memories because it's your own experience. You know, like like if if you didn't see the movie for years and and people had talked about it, then you might not have had the same awe experience, and so you, you don't remember it that way. It doesn't stand out to you that way. But if you saw it in the theater, kind of ahead of the curve, then it stands yeah. out. Yeah. It was, I, the, actually, the last movie I saw in the theater, I went to the movies in Boston on, on Sunday, hmm. uh, which I do at least once a month, because I work at Peabody on Sundays, and I'm already two-thirds of the way to Boston, and a lot of times there's stuff playing there that just doesn't come up here. Hmm. So, And there's a, one theater in particular that I go to a lot. So it was a movie I wanted to see called Never Really Here. Uh, so walking in Phoenix. Uh, and it was, I mean, it was excellent. You know, it was, it definitely lived up to my expectations for it. It's a very dark film. It's, I mean, I said to a couple friends of mine, I'm like, it is one of the darkest films I've ever seen. Uh, it's, it's certainly not something I would recommend to everyone, but there is a, not a I wouldn't necessarily call it a twist, but because it, it, it fits into a certain style of film it's very without being it's certainly not a ripoff but it's very reminiscent of Taxi Driver there's a there's you know a, a guy going around you know exacting vengeance who's certainly has some mental issues and they do something to work like towards the end of the film that you don't see coming but then the effects that that, that those actions have on him is really really interesting I, I wasn't expecting it and it was just like oh, okay but it also because I know there, it, it's tough to talk about without giving the movie away but there's certain types of there's certain people now that would look at the type of film that it is and just knowing the basics about it without seeing it say, well, it falls into this category and it's basically um, a guy saving a girl, and that's sort of yeah, trite at this point. And, you know, and it's, that's not exactly what the movie turns out to be. <laughs> well, that's yeah, that's it's funny. Yeah, you brought you bring up the darkness, the dark, you know, like and and it's it, it almost seems like like that's a commodity these days. Like people are striving to see how dark. We sure. can go, and that's been a trend for a long time. I yeah, think no, you know, uh, and I was I was just thinking about that the other day. Um, I think I was in I was in Goodwill looking at kids books, you know, for my my, my nephew. And uh, there's this there was a superhero one, like the the DC you know universe yeah. kind of superhero stories, and it was it was very trite. You know, it was it was yes, Mr. President, we're going to go save America, and and you know these these sort of you know it was probably targeted at four or five year old kids. Yeah. And, um, 
and it made me think back to, you know, how did I develop my sensibilities about heroes and stories and, you know, stories that I like? Because um, I honestly kind of veer away from really dark sure. plot lines sure. like, like The Walking Dead and, and, you know, a lot of the sort of apocalyptic um, things that that are very popular now in mainstream. And the, the reason they don't appeal to me is because the characters are... They, they, they might be relatable. Like, they might be characters we identify with because of our own weaknesses or anger issues or whatever, but they're not necessarily characters I want to emulate. They're not heroes to me because... And sometimes they are. You know, sometimes they make hard choices in, in terrible situations and, and do the right thing and, and they are heroic. But um, I feel like we are really bathing in the, the darkness and the struggle. Sure. And, and it's, it's not a heroic decision unless they're overcoming this, these great tragedies and things like that. And, and um, I don't know, it's, it's, sometimes I just want to see a character that is better than me and, you know, idealizes things that, that I want to aspire to or I want to see the world aspire to. And I feel like we, there's not a lot of entertainment out there that, that does that. Like Gene Roddenberry-esque, you know, ideal, like his, his, his vision of the Star Trek universe was a very idealistic one. You know, we, we, we're socialists, basically. We're, we don't use money anymore. We, uh, we have, you know, a, um, a society that is about betterment of, of itself and the world, you know, the greater world around it. Um, and, you know, uh, yeah, there's still flawed characters and stuff like that, but it's this really optimistic point of view. And you don't see that anymore. I, I, I mean, I don't know. Can you, can you think of any examples in TV or movies that have that sort of a rosier outlook, you know, like pointing us in a better direction. Cause like, like player one, I've ready player one. I haven't seen it. So, but, but you know, I know a lot about it just from trailers and, uh, it's, it's, it's horrible. It's a horrible concept that, that we are, we have to escape from the horror of our everyday reality because we live in little boxes that are stacked. Right. Yeah. It's it's funny because it's one of those movies that like, and I didn't read the book and some people who read the book liked it. Some people who read the book were like, oh, I love this and this out of the book, which always happens. Of course. Yeah. It's a movie. I enjoyed it, but you're right. It's very much focusing on where our culture is headed with social media and VR gaming and so on and so forth. And, um, it's interesting because I, I was thinking about what you were saying about um, The Walking Dead in particular. I mean, I haven't watched it in a couple of years. I had kind of, I mean, it's a tough, it's a tough show to have longevity with because just by the very nature they keep killing people off but, <laughs> yeah. but my, my biggest not complaint was there was one character who um, I, I, I kind of related to and was more the fact that despite everything that was going on around them and being you know witness to 
all these horrible situations, never lost his sense of humanity or hope. And they killed him off a couple of seasons ago, and I was like, all right, that's pretty much the... I was like... Yeah. I'm like, it, it's almost, at this point, has become a gimmick with that show, too. Okay, let's see who, you know, let's let's shake up the audience again. Like, I mean, because basically the seasons now are... We introduce six new characters. By the end of the season, four of them are dead, and, and <laughs> along with three people from a previous season. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, so that's a model that, that, that that's reminiscent of soap operas to me. Right. You know, and, and granted, I was not a, never a huge fan of soap operas, but uh, but that's that that's that kind of melodrama. <laughs> You know, technique yeah. of of you know let's let's get you engaged in a character and then kill them off to you know give you this sense of cataclysmic drama. Yeah, and um, I don't know feels feels gimmicky. Feels feels like sure. a, a device that's that's too easy to exploit and then repeatedly exploit. Uh, but you know, even even larger than that. Um, Really, really well written shows, like like brilliantly written shows, like um, Breaking Bad, you know. And then that 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 was one of the the earlier you know kind of examples of this. Of I I couldn't bring myself to really get into it. I couldn't get into it. I think I gave up five episodes. That's interesting. That's very interesting because everybody around me I felt was absorbed in this show and lauding it, and and rightfully so because the writing was. Brilliant, and you know the characters and the acting are you know like Brian Cranston, phenomenal. But and the arc that his character takes is is really well done. But man, like this guy keep, just keeps making poor choices, right? <laughs> and and he's spiraling downward and downward, you know, to an inevitable you know finish. But uh, I. I just couldn't watch it. It's it's like a train wreck essentially, yeah. and and as and that's kind of it. Like humans love a good train wreck. Sure, we love watching that stuff. We we're rubbernecking on the highway. Yeah, everyone turns their head to the left, and when you drive past the car wreck. Yeah, yeah, and I, I know I do, and and it's and a morbid curiosity, I guess. And I wonder if that's what that kind of writing is tapping into. I think it's. Well, I think any sort of something like that or, you know, faction of the culture of obsession with horror movies and I think when it comes down to it, it's it's a reminder, like, it's simultaneously a reminder of our own mortality, but also, well, that's not happening to me, so I'm yep. doing, I'm, I'm okay. Yeah, a little kind of schadenfreude. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, it's funny because I like well-made horror films, but horror films are a lot like heavy metal, and there's a lot out there, and the general public kind of thinks the people who partake of either art form are morons and you know there's sort of a reason for that a lot of times um, but a lot of it is really mediocre to bad but there is some really good stuff in there but and it's also like I've also found like I mean right now the, the, the two films that are right now tied for the best films I've seen so far this year. One is a science fiction film with a, you know, like a 30% horror bend to it, and the, the other one is just a straight horror film, and they're both 
probably the best ones I've seen this year so far. But I've tried, there's certain people that I know if they could not even get past the horror part, but give it a chance, just you know, I think would appreciate it for the other elements. But I also know that like they, you know, certain people won't watch this because it's a horror. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I might fall into that category because sure. I mean I'm I you know I scare myself enough as it is. I, I'm, I'm very susceptible to nightmares and that right. sort of thing. And um, Pet Cemetery, man, I saw that in in eighth grade, I think. And uh, man, that thing that thing was the food for my nightmares sure. for months and months. And uh, you know the 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 character, the cyclist who was killed, the ghost who right, right next to the bed, man, that jump scare, oh, every time. I it's funny. I'm thinking about it now. I don't know if I've actually seen Pet Cemetery. I read. I read. Spoiler. The book. Oh no, no, no! I read the book years ago, and because my favorite part of the book, um, I know is not in the film, which is a part where the, the kid is out in the wilderness at one point, like in the middle of the night and a Wendigo passes him oh. and I know that the, like that whole element is not in the film no, at all I mean and they had to take certain things out to make a you know a 90 minute film instead of a yep. 700 page book yep. um, but and that's not why I didn't see it I just didn't happen to see it because you know I was probably in 6th grade when it came out and I was yeah. not you know, that it. would not be I, I, I would hope to say you would not see that in sixth grade. <laughs> well, I mean, I wasn't allowed to see scary movies when I was a kid, at all, which I think has also probably sustained my fascination with them as, as an adult. I mean, same thing with heavy metal. Uh, you know. Uh, You're still rebelling. Well, it's funny. My mom <laughs> asked me several years ago when I was living in Arizona still about the, you know, when I was running the record store. She's like, do you think you're going to do this forever? And I was just like, she's like, I thought this would have been a phase. I was like, hey, if you had burned my Motley Crue cassette in, in, in seventh grade, this might have just been a teenage phase. I was like, but, you know, now. If, you set my path. Yeah, 30, 37, 38. Hey, thank you. Can I get a to-go box? Sure. Please. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to sustain myself on this pile of bread for many for many days. Um, so, so actually, I, I do have a segue though. In terms of the lighter lighter fare, sure. I want to get my plug in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, because that's where I was actually just about to go. Sweet. Right? Yeah. Well, our, our check just arrived, so we should have that in mind. But uh, yes. Yeah, so, so tell me. So tell me about the was it eight by eight is what it's called. Eight by eight is the show. Uh, it's a series of sketches yeah. written by G. Matthew Gaskell, our good buddy, um, who, who's been on this podcast. Who's been on this podcast? And uh, you know, back to the the idea of um, you know lighter writing and just having fun. Thank you very much. Uh, oh, I haven't I haven't contributed to that yet. Um, uh, let's see. I'm gonna do. I guess I'll just yeah, just take the just take the rest yeah, of yeah. it, or okay. However you want to do it. All right, we'll figure I don't need change. So okay. Oh, okay. So I'll I'll figure something out. Um. So uh, yeah, these are this is a series of sketches, comedic sketches that he's written over the years. Uh, some of them have been performed previously uh, with Darwin's Waiting Room, uh, and so and but he's modified them and improved them and tweaked them and. Uh, and there's eight of them, I'm assuming? Yes. And there's eight actors in the ensemble? Uh, yes. And it's it's sort of um, 
Oh, I, I don't know if I, I hope Greg doesn't mind me, you know, giving this part away. But there's a there's a sense of the, a Muppet Show sort of vibe, you yeah. know, like like this is a this is a theater group, and we're putting on a show, but we're giving you some glimpses behind the scenes yeah, a little yeah. bit to a little yeah. bit of the hilarity and craziness of the the people we putting are. On the show, yeah. Sure. So there there are some bits where we are ourselves or portray ourselves, and. Um, and it's great. It's really good. And uh, it, Greg, Greg's writing is hilarious, and we we are all cracking up during every rehearsal. It's also challenging. I mean, we are working hard on some of these sketches, yeah. and, and you know when you come, when you you know when people come to see this. Fifteen um, the bill and the rest of the card. Perfect. Okay. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks. Um, and uh, so so we're. It's great, which is great as an actor. You know, it it's, it pushes us and stretches us yeah. to to find new things. And uh, and Kelsey Domine, the the his co-director, is a fantastic director. It's the first time I've worked with her, and she's awesome. I really yeah. enjoy it. Uh, and every in, in fact, everybody in the cast is new to me. Um, other than Greg. Hi, buddy. Yeah, except for Greg and Gary Locke. Okay. Uh, these are the, those are the two people I've worked with before. Everybody else is new because it, this is at the being put on at the Hatbox Theater in Concord, uh, which is in the old, the Steeplegate Mall, and um, it is it is a cool venue. I just got to see it for the first time last night, oh, and it's a great space. Um, we've been rehearsing in a church near, nearby, uh, actually, which in has uh, no in in um, Pembroke. Oh, it's nearby, nearby. Yeah. Gotcha. So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Poor kid. <laughs> I'm going to refrain from comment on this. Um, yeah, I, the first show that I saw at the Hatbox Theater was actually Greg's one woman show, Ray of Light, which Carrielle yep. was in. Uh, yep. Magnificent. Last year. Yeah, yeah she, and she is in, in, in right. this performance. Yeah, no, as well. I knew that. Um, yeah, and, and yeah, she, everybody uh, Carrielle, uh, Aaron, Wayne, and um, Pepper. <laughs> and uh, it's funny, every time I say their names, I'm, I'm thinking of a you know piece of the show, which sure. I won't give away. Right. But uh, And that wins the run. Uh, the run starts on April 27th, runs for three weekends. Yeah. Um, we do Friday nights and Saturday nights and Sunday matinees. Yeah. And uh, it's great. It's it's because um, a lot of a lot of the shows I think at the Hatbox, some of them are one night or one weekend right. uh, shows, and then there are some other like Hatbox productions that like this one that have a you know a three week stint. Um, and uh, again, yeah, this is this this is a theater that was started by Andrew Pennard um, and his partner. Uh, oh, Kevin, I'm blanking out on his last name. Which, uh, sorry, Kevin. Yeah, another Kevin. And um, and Meredith is, is also uh, one of the people. She's just our stage manager, and she's also very involved with the theater. Uh, and it's it's a cool group of people. It's it's a really great organization, and you know I love. The model they've set up, which is very similar to the players' ring model right. in Portsmouth, where uh, there's a board, you know, and they 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 take proposals and pitches, and then they build a season um, from different production companies, different groups, right. you know, around the, the area. But what it offers to the region 
is another venue for actors like myself, right. you know, and Gary Locke, who, you know, comes from, is coming from the Nashua area. So, uh, you know, it, it, it just creates, it doubles the opportunities for, for actors and for audiences mm-hmm. to see locally written original stuff as well as um, Shakespeare, you know, uh, Gary Locke's directing uh, Edward II coming up uh, and um, it's 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 heartening to see to yeah. see it as a trend and to see it succeeding yeah it's, it's a great space and it's been you know it's been cool because it's only been open two years I think I believe so yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and I've seen I want to say four shows there mm-hmm. now I mean because it, it is in conference so from here it's you know it's the better part of an hour to get there but mm-hmm. it's certainly it's certainly worth it, and I like it because it kind of gets me out of the area for the night. So I don't. I feel like every time I'm in Concord, I'm like, I need to spend more time here. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a quite, it's a government town. You know, it, it shuts down largely after five p.m. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I think that is changing. I think there's a shift to create nightlife in Concord. For sure, which is good. I I'll, I get there every once in a while because I'm one of my favorite movie theaters is in Concord. Oh yeah, Red River. Red River. Oh, yeah. such a cool theater. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was actually contemplating trying to go to a movie there, but I I have to take down a, an art show this afternoon, and I'm like I won't have, have between that and I got to be in Dover at six to babysit, and I'm like I don't think. Like, if I took the show down earlier, I might be able to do it, but I'm like, I don't want to, yeah. you know. You are a jack of every single trade. Like, you you, you babysit? You do everything. Okay, that's all right. You know, but man, that's that's so cool. Is this the show in uh, at Main Street in um, Yeah, yeah, in, the in, one that you and I came to yep. uh, in uh, Newfields. Newfields, thank yeah, you. Yeah, 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 yeah. At, at Main Street Art. Yeah. Yep, and that was a, that's a great show. Yeah, thank right. you. Uh, yeah. It's a cool it was, space. It, it was exciting because it was my first solo gallery show. Yeah. So is this... Am I correct in remembering? Is this your first time on stage in a couple of years? Uh, because you, gee whiz, yeah, it's, it's you, been. A, I took kind of a hiatus. A, you won the spotlight award. No, I was nominated. I didn't win. Oh, you didn't win. No, no. no. Well, now I feel. And that terrible. was a, that was another G. Matthew, G. Matthew Gaskell right. play. Actually, yeah, yeah, that was that was. Um, um, Wow. Was it? <laughs> Blanking out. Was it no, it was. Uh, uh, wow. I hope you go back and edit this. Greg, Greg will. I don't edit it at all. I know. Greg's going to kick my butt for blanking out on the name of the show. My character was Poppy. And, um, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, background check. Background check. Background check. Wow. So did you originate? The is just going to my head. Uh, did, I, did I. What? Did you originate? I, yeah, I was the first one to play that role. Because I saw it when he did it. Seacoast Rep, which yes. is right around the corner so from here, but I, I didn't see it because I, I, it was either I was just checking the time because I only have uh, I have another half an hour on the meter. I was oh, just let's not get you a ticket. Yeah. Yeah. I've already I got two parking tickets in Dover right now. I haven't paid yet. Oh, so. uh oh, yeah, that, um, it adds up. Yeah. Um, I didn't get to see you performing it, but. Uh, 
That's fun. So, so you did take a little bit of a hiatus. I, well, I did. I've been I've been freelancing. I, my, you know, my, my day job is um, I'm a web developer, I'm a programmer, and uh, I started freelancing, running my own business in 2014. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, <laughs> I had the brilliant idea that freelancing would free me up to do more creative work and to do more art. And uh, you're working a lot more. It turns out. Running your own business is running your own business, and that's you know you dream about it at night. Like that's all that it's all consuming. Um, and I'm finally actually hitting hitting a stride where I think I can I can balance things out better, right. you know, and and pay the bills and and still do some creative work. Um, I recently joined Portsmouth uh, Port City Makerspace. <laughs> and I've not gotten in there nearly as much as I should, but uh, it's, you know, paying for that membership every month reminds me, keeps me on task. It's like, okay, I need to go do some woodworking. Um, and and this, you know, making the time to do this show, to do 8x8, eight eight, is... It's worth it. Yeah, you know, I'm just happier when I do it. I'm more tolerable for my family. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I think Di will attest to the fact that I'm, you know, she can take it a lot better when I'm doing a when show. You're doing shows, oh yeah, fun. yeah. Otherwise, I'm just stir crazy in the basement. See, I tend to be. I, I think. I'm more miserable to be around when I'm doing a show, but I mean that's also the last show that I did was tape, which was a very dark show. Yeah. Um, but then the show before that that I had done was uh, the Darwin's Waiting Room show that Greg wrote at the Players Ring that you and I were in together. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that was uh, yep. One of the sketches from that is in Eight by Eight. Which one? Kings of the Road. Nice. Yep. Yep. Um, one of my favorites. Say. And I think I think the first time you and I met was doing a show at the Players Ring, which was uh, all he had to do was move the car. Is that when we met? I believe so, because you wow. and I. It was interesting because kind of bringing it full circle. That's yeah. a dark show, but you and I were sort of the, the Com- levity. We were the comic we, relief. We were the uh, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern of of that show. The uh, tags and banks for those Star Wars nerds out there of that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, if you're not familiar with those characters, once Solo comes out, you will be. They're, they were, they were, they had their own comic line. Wow. Um, no, they, I, I don't uh, know them. Basically, the, the theory or the the, the premises. You're familiar with Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's kind of the Star Wars version of that. It's these two bumbling stormtroopers through <laughs> just happenstance in their own buffoonery are witness to and sometimes influence all of the major plot points of the original Star Wars films. That's beautiful. And there's a fan theory that in The Force Awakens so there's a scene where Kylo Ren is having a temper tantrum and smashing up the... The two guys come around the, the corner. The two guys come around and then back up, and there's a fan theory that that's them as older guys. But their first actual appearance in a Star Wars film will be in Solo, a Star Wars story, which comes out next month. Oh, wow. So they've, they've taken They'll, from the comic book universe and applied it. It's interesting because when Disney took over Star Wars, yeah. everything that wasn't the films was turned into Star Wars Legends, and they said none of it is canon. Right. So this this will be the first canon appearance of these two characters. So interesting. And one of them is played by it's not Jake Kasdan, it's Lawrence Kasdan's other son who wrote 
the film. So Lawrence Kasdan, who wrote uh, Empire Strikes Back, mm-hmm. um, and uh, also you know he's worked on some of the Indiana Jones films, and he also wrote The Force Awakens. He and his son wrote Solo on the Star Wars story, which I always keep reminding myself of because I'm like. I'm hesitantly excited about it. I'm very reticent about it. And, yeah. Uh, you know, and I liked Rogue One. Uh, yeah. Oh, oh, Rogue One, I really enjoyed. You know, but but part of the reason I enjoy it is because it steps away from the Skywalker saga a little bit. And, right. You know, it, it it's it, it's a time, it's a moment in history, and uh, I mean, and again, it is it is. There's darkness, certainly, certainly there, you know. But um, I don't know. I, there's a, there's this part of what I love about the Star Wars universe is the optimism, you know, the the, the raw strive against all odds and and win kind of optimism that that that's portrayed. Um, can you remind me what the, the original total was? Whatever that plus fifteen, so twenty-four sixty-seven. Okay, thank you. Yeah. I just want to make sure I'm he's, making he's, the number he's right. Mathing. I'm mathing, which is not something I am um, good at. Yeah. So, do you have so eight by eight opens uh, in, April, in about ten days? April twenty-seventh, ten and days. I got to go run lines. Do you have? Anything else theatrical on the horizon after that? No, not at the moment. Um, but the the open auditions for both Hatbox and the Players Ring are coming up uh, in May, and uh, I, I'm hoping to get to those. I, I recommend anybody who has any interest in doing theater go to those. You know, yeah. it's at the very least, it's a great auditioning experience. You know, you get to audition for a group of directors and, and other uh, you know producers, and um, just kind of stretch your legs, and it's. They're, they're usually friendly and, you know, approachable and, uh, you know, not these kind of high pressure, you know, you must fit a certain part kind of auditions because they're open. And um, and it's, it's, it's a good kind of way to get your feet wet, which is, you know, I, I, that's how I started in this community in yeah. 2005 was the first show I did here after moving to Ports, back back to the Portsmouth area. What was the first show that you did? Up here, it was um, Noah Sheila's Scent and Sentimentality, which was, uh, you know, a spoof on on Sense and Sensibility, you know, Austin. And, uh, yeah, I got to, I, I got the lead. Which you know, it was blew my mind yeah. that that I could just pop into a community and get cast in a lead. Um, Where was that? That was at the ring at the players' ring, and uh, it was it was a farce. You know, it was a great fun show, yeah. and uh, got to act with Gary Locke and uh, Andy Fling and um, just a, a handful of really you know, Nikki Nikki Fuller and and really cool people. So uh, nice. it was it was a great introduction to the community, and you know. Know, made me fall in love with and I've done some stuff with the rep since then yeah. and you know now extending out to Hatbox nice. it feels good that's awesome yeah I'm looking forward to the show cool man I can't wait to see you there well, it was, yeah. always always great to get breakfast with you you too down, but thanks for thanks for doing this thank you for for giving me a reason to go to Colby's absolutely <laughs> okay.